Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. As you know what today is, praise the Lord. He is risen. Praise Jesus. If this is your first time here, listen to me. Hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and I come to you from Gospel Saving Church. We're in McKinney, Texas, and this is one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth, our weekly broadcast of truth of the resurrected Jesus Christ on Resurrection Sunday. Please don't call it Easter. We'll get into that. You can go back and listen to some other messages. It's not Easter. It's Resurrection Day. Praise God anyway. We always ask God to help us to understand the Word and understand His His uh, His meaning behind His Word. So, if you guys would join me in a word of prayer, let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we uh, we thank you and we uh, we thank you so much, Lord God, not only for our life, not only for our breath, Lord, not only for all the wonderful things, but Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that this is a day that we get to come to you, Lord, and we get to thank you, Lord God, that that you sent your Savior Jesus Christ into the world to live and die and rise again, Lord God, to defeat death. Lord God, and, and, and that we could celebrate this this amazing day, Lord God, probably one of the greatest, or if not the greatest day of Christ, the, the victory of God, the victory of Christ, Lord God, over sin and death, Lord God, that we could celebrate today. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to understand your words today. Help us understand the meaning of all this. Help us understand, Lord, why... Lord, the, the question in the title that I, I put online already, that those that are listening online already see why. Help us to understand the whys, Lord, to that question, Lord. Help us to understand your heart behind why today and why today is necessary, Lord God. And help us, Lord, then to understand why, Lord, each one of us, Lord, should, should take this day super personally, Lord. Everybody on the face of the planet should, should take it intimately. Lord, we ask you to Help us, Lord. Help us understand. And Lord, help us then to make application once we understand. Help us to apply what you did and what Jesus Christ did to our lives, Lord God. For Lord, we know that wisdom not applied is foolishness. So Lord, we can know all the things in the world, but if we just don't apply them, Lord, then they mean nothing to us. So Lord, I, I pray these things and I ask these things, all of them, Lord God, in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 20 today. This is our special breakaway sermon, of course, because this is Resurrection Sunday. This is not our normal week-by-week and verse-by-verse and book-by-book teaching. Again, praise God, Jesus Christ is risen. Isn't that amazing news to celebrate? Without Him rising from the dead, literally nothing would matter. Nothing. Did you know that? Nothing would matter. How, how can I say this? Well, because Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in the section of Scripture that we're going to read today, he says so. And I believe his statement because it's what the Bible says, and plus it's what I perceive in people's lives and in the lives that we live on this earth. This is a true statement. If Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, and so nobody would be resurrected either, then nothing else matters. Nothing would matter in regards to how much money you could ever make. Nothing would matter in how many things or possessions that you could attain. Nothing else would matter in how much sex you could have if you really like sex or how much education. I know one man that he loves it education. He loves wisdom. He admitted to me just the other day that wisdom to him would be his technically his God right now because he loves 
wisdom. But that wouldn't matter if Jesus, if, if, if there was no resurrection, if Jesus Christ had not resurrected. It wouldn't matter how much skill you had or, or what kind of trade that you knew or how long your life was or how smart or how stupid you were. Nothing would matter if Jesus Christ, and then again, people, if there was no resurrection, nothing would matter at all. Now that I got your blood going, now that I, now that I, you got, hey, well, how can you say you mean nothing matters, Pastor? That's ridiculous. Everything, everything matters. Well, now that I got your blood boiling, let's read over 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, and we'll see, you'll see why I said what I did and why the Bible says what it says on this matter. The title of our sermon today, which you know you online have already seen that, but those in the church, the title of today's message is, If Jesus Had Not Risen, Then Nothing Matters. That's why I've been saying that this whole time. If Jesus had not risen, then nothing matters. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 20. I'm going to as I read, we're going to do a little bit different today. I'm just going to teach as I go on most of it and then just kind of a side off into certain extra special scriptures that are, that I that I'm going to dig into some here and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 says this Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and he says, "Moreover, brethren, now he's writing to Christians here. These are his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So, of course, this the Bible primarily was written to Christians. It wasn't written to non-believers. Now, now non-believers can read it if they're seeking the Lord or if they're curious about God. But what they're going to be reading is God's words or God's people's words to his people. So, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. In Greek, that word gospel just means good news. So he says, brethren, I'm giving you, I'm declaring to you the good news, which what? Which I preached to you, which means that he's already given them the good news, and now he's kind of declaring them the gospel again. Why would he want to declare the gospel to them again? Well, he goes on, which you also received and in which you stand. So they had already received the gospel. They had received the good news of Jesus Christ, which we're going to read in, in verse 3 and 4. But for right now, we see here that they've just received it. They've already received those truths, and then they're, and they're standing in those truths. Why is it important to stand in the gospel, to stand in the good news of what Jesus Christ did for us, which we're going to again read about in 3 and 4, verses 3 and 4, by which you are also saved, also saved, notice it's future tense, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And Lauren, you could say, according to the context of those two verses, unless you continue to believe in vain. Otherwise, you can continue to hold fast. Here we see Jesus' words in Matthew 24, 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Uh, the, the, the shall be saved coming after the he who endures part, right? So if we stand in the gospel which we receive of Jesus Christ and what he did for us, uh, which we're going to read about, which we already know about, but I'm just, I don't want to ruin verses 3 and 4, if we stand in what Jesus Christ did for us and in him and we continue to stand, then we shall be saved for all eternity. Or if we don't, if we believed or if we begin to believe in vain, then of course we lose that. We're not. Verse 3, again, 1 Corinthians 15, he says this. This is, the, this is the good news that they had to stand in. This is the good news that he preached to them. This is the gospel. For I delivered to you first... 
of all that which I also received, which means that he was told. And remember, Paul wasn't there. Paul wasn't at the empty tomb. Paul wasn't there when Christ resurrected. Paul wasn't there when Jesus Christ died. So he received this, and he probably received it either A, from a revelation of God, or B, from those that preached it, that he heard preaching in the streets as he was a, a Pharisee at the time when Christ died, lived and died and rose again. I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The, the Scriptures record that Christ, the, the Messiah of God, was to come and he was to live a life, then he was also to die for the sins of mankind. Isaiah 53, we talked about it within the last couple of weeks. Verse 4, and that he was buried, which means that he lived and he was going to be put in a tomb and he was going to bear because he, he died, right? He lived, died, he, he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. As the scripture records that the grave could not hold him, death could not keep him. And then verse 5, he goes into some proofs of, of how we know that we can trust those facts. Verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, that's uh, by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. The Bible just means that they had died. After that he was seen by James, then by the, all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time, as we know the road to Damascus, Paul saw the risen Christ, he saw Christ sitting there in heaven, and he was converted, of course, and he surrendered his life to the Lord, and then he became a new creature. So Paul gives the gospel that Christ lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Again, by which we're saved, we, we all, we're saved by the Christ, and by the fact of what he did, what he did kind of tells us who he was. Right? How we define ourselves is, is I'm, I'm Ed Spagnoli and I live in McKinney, Texas and I'm married to a beautiful wife and I got two great kids and I, and I live and I have these jobs and I do these things. That's how you would define Ed Spagnoli, right? Well, you define, define Jesus and who he was is he's the Christ, the Messiah of God, the one that came to, into the world to save mankind by his death, his burial, and his resurrection, his perfect life that he lived his death that he died for our sins, that he was buried after he died, and that he rose again the third day. And that's how we're saved. We'll talk about how we go about believing all that at the very end of the sermon, but that's by what Paul is saying. And then after that, he gives the gospel. After he gives the gospel, he tells us all the proofs of how we can believe the gospel. Because it's kind of hard, like even for us now, to actually go, well, how do we really know that Jesus Christ really did those things? How do we really know that he was the Messiah and that he did rise again? And that, well, well Paul knowing that, knowing that people kind of have skepticism about them, and even as we'll read on here, what he tells to these people in this church, there was some kind of some discontent in the church here. There were some people saying some things that weren't true, so he, he gives here the proof. Psychologists say with all the people that saw what happened to Christ, they saw his death, they saw his burial, and then they saw him resurrected. They say with all the many witnesses 
up here over 500 witnesses that Paul gives to us, which these people could have gone and they could have investigated and they could have known the, all these people or they could have sought them out and heard their personal testimony of this. Psychologists even today say that this event actually happened with all the many people that saw it. There would have to be such a collusion for all these people to have seen this thing that it could, they couldn't have been just insane. It, it's pretty cool if you look into it, really. Plus, we have, as I've talked about this in other resurrection messages, we have Dr. Uh, Simon Greenleaf and his book, The Testimony of the Four Evangelists, that we also have to go by. In his book, Simon puts forth a proposal that the supposed resurrection of Jesus Christ and the apostles' action to this supposed resurrection of Christ, they, he actually puts it on trial. And he says, I'm going to either prove that it happened or I'm going to prove that it didn't happen because he was a skeptic. He didn't believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ. He thought it was a hoax. But then he put the supposed resurrection and the supposed re reaction of the disciples to the resurrection uh, to the test. And what he found is he found more verif verifiable truth for the resurrection and Jesus Christ actually being who he said he was than any other truth in all of history. And here's why he said that. As I talked to a real nice man, Omar, and, and the store just just actually yesterday or actually Friday, excuse me, of this of this past week that we were just coming out of, as I explained to him, this man, Dr. Simon Greenleaf, looked at the, the reaction of the disciples after Christ died. What happened to them? They went and hid. They locked the door. They were scared that the same thing the religious leaders did to Jesus Christ was the same thing that they were going to come after them and do to them. So what did they do after that? Well, Simon examines this. Well, the, something broke us out of that, right? Something broke them out of it because we only have Christianity today because certain men took up the lamp took up the torch and said, you know what, we're going to go continue to tell people about what Jesus Christ did. Well, we know those men that did that, historically, even outside of the Bible, were the 11 apostles. But how do 11 cowering, scared, like scared dogs, scared cat apostles, how do we get the gospel from them when they went and they locked the door? In fact, certain of them had gone back to fishing again. They weren't going to go preach the gospel. They were going to let sleeping dogs lie and say, you know what? We're, we're not going to preach the gospel because we, we, could, we could lose our lives. And, but then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, just a few days later, all of a sudden they're, they're in the streets. They're in front of the magistrates. They're in front of leaders of the Jewish synagogue. They're in front of all these Jewish people going, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And, and you know what? Even some of them are being put to death. So how does these, these 11 cowering men, this is what Simon put on trial, what happened to them? Well, the only thing that records the Bible says it happened to them is they actually saw the risen Christ. And all of them, all the 11 minus just one, all lost their lives in a horrible way for the one simple fact of Jesus Christ in the gospel. All they had to do was deny Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he lived, died, rose again, and they would have been set free, but because they, they knew him, and when they knew him, they either knew he would have been a fraud or knew he would have been the truth. And so they lost their lives for a truth because nobody's going to willfully shed their blood for a lie. Willfully knowing it, that is. People have, many people have lost their lives for lies that they didn't know. They were deceived, right? But hardly could 
11 people hang out with one man for three and a half years and not know that he wasn't a fraud or a liar. They would have known the truth and they chose the Jesus Christ that they knew. Then after they saw him resurrected, they said, there's no way this could be a hoax. He ate, came after he resurrected and he ate with them, proving to them that he wasn't a ghost. And they believed and then they went to their graves, to their death, to being put to death. They lost their lives and they shed their blood over the fact that Jesus was the Christ and that he lived and died, was buried and rose again the third day. And that's what they would not deny. Simon examined this testimony along with others, along with other things that he saw as well. And he found that again, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most provable historical account in all of history. And, and when, of course, when I told this to Omar just the other day, his mouth was hanging open. He couldn't believe it. He'd never heard it before. Maybe you've never heard it either. But go please investigate if you have doubts. Called the Testimony of the Four Evangelists or the Testimony of the Evangelists by Dr. Simon Greenleaf, one of the principal founders of Harvard law school now if he doesn't know the law and he doesn't he knows how to argue cases he, he wrote a book that's still used in the law field today anyway so it's, it's foolishness to even try to say that the resurrection of christ didn't happen with all of what paul said with all the verifiable accounts that he had pointed these people to plus the testimony of the four evangelists that they gave of losing their lives for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's all they had to deny. It's foolishness to deny that this actually happened to Jesus Christ. So, so let's not go denying it. I don't want us to look stu as stupid as those, believe it or not, that have bashed Dr. Simon Greenlee's book saying that this principal founder of Harvard Law School, uh, that his book was false because they don't got a leg to stand on because human actions speak louder than words. And anything you're willing to give up everything for, if you gave up everything, including your life, for a lie, nobody does this. Nobody's ever done this in the past outside of these 11 men who died for Christ. And nobody's going to do it in the future because nobody loses everything, including their lives, for a known lie. So let's not be foolish. Let's keep going under the fact that Jesus Christ did resurrect. So anyway, let's keep going. Now that we have the truth, he did rise again. And this truth is a verifiable one throughout all history. So again, let's keep going because we still must answer the question of why nothing matters if he didn't resurrect. Why nothing matters. And then, as I mentioned in my prayer, if you were listening along, praying with me, there's also a second question that we need to answer. Now, we know it matters, but if it didn't matter, why does, it, why does nothing matter? And then, now that we, but we know it matters, what should his resurrection mean personally and intimately to everyone? Be, because it should. Facts are facts, you see. But there are facts that mean things personally to us, and there are facts that mean nothing to us, right? Uh, there's, there's many facts in the world that I may know, but they don't mean anything to me. I know there's countries all over the world. I know that the, you know, two-thirds of the face of the earth is covered with water. They're just facts. Do they mean anything to me? Not really personally, but Jesus Christ's resurrection should, but why? Let's move forward in our scripture. Pick up with me in verse 9, please. 
Let's see what Paul has to say on this subject. Verse 9, he says this, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. If you remember correctly, as I just said, Paul was not born a Christian. Paul had to be converted along a road to Damascus. While he was, while he was persecuting the church, actually, that's when Christ saved him. But he had already had murdered people. He had already had people dragged off to jail. So here he's downplaying his importance in God's kingdom. Paul was a very humble man. At this point, God had humbled him. Because, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, meaning I am who I am because of God's grace, not by my works. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. You see, Paul did more for the gospel than any one other disciple or apostle Ever And still to this day, he, we could still boast this about Paul. Uh, two-thirds of the New Testament was written by him. He went and traveled and did more w- without anything. The man had his legs. <laughs> he wasn't even in good health. He did more than any one of us, including any apostle that he knew personally, Peter, James, John, all of them. He did more for the gospel than any of they, but yet he doesn't take any credit for it. He says, but not I, but the grace of God that's in me, right? I, but I labored more than them all. Uh, therefore, but he doesn't matter. He doesn't care who did it. He just knows that, hey, whether it was I or they, we preached the gospel and you believe verse 12 now if christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead how do some among you say that there's no resurrection from the dead you see this this all this whole section of scripture our our title for our sermon today this sermon in general all comes from the fact that there were people in his church or in the church in, in here in first corinthians in the church of corinth for these christians that he's writing to that believed that there was no resurrection from the dead and so some were teaching that nobody raised from the dead. I'm, I'm not sure here. He doesn't really say whether they were teaching that Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead also. But the fact remains here that some among them in their very own church, think of the heresy, after all the proof that Paul just brought up that he could actually get these people and bring them and say, look, here, here's 550 some odd people that believed that, that, that saw this. But yet some here say that there's no resurrection, even though we saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, that's heresy, and Paul's calling it out. He's talking about it. It, it. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say there's no resurrection from the dead? That's ridiculous. Look at what Paul says of this teaching in verse 13. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. So he's, he's playing this, he, he's showing them the folly of what they're believing, right? Pretty simple conclusion. He said, if their teaching is true, then there is no resurrection, and Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead either, right? To Paul, it was an either all or nothing scenario. And this is correct because biblically, it is an all or nothing scenario. God's word speaks of a resurrection of the quick and the dead, or of the dead and of the living, even outside of Paul. And Paul here is just reaffirming what God's word has taught and what they could read God's word even right then and there. And they could see that God's word taught of, you know, of a resurrection. But Paul continues out their folly or continues to talk about their folly. And he does it here. He keeps going and he does it to what I call what many call the nth degree here as we keep going in verse 14. What is the nth degree? That, That means that we take an idea. 
and we hold up an idea of something that we have, and then we play out what that idea means all the way to the very end. For, for instance, the many times I like to play the nth degree out onto the idea of the, the, the heresy that we have in our world today called Calvinism, and in the specific doctrine of Calvinism called once saved, always saved. Hey, once I'm saved, I'm always saved. Well, then that means if we take that out to the nth, that, hey, if I'm truly saved, which, you know, the Bible gives things that says, hey, here's how you know you're saved. So once I know I'm saved, then that means I can do whatever I want. Because if I play it out to the nth, that doctrine teaches that, well, because I'm saved, nothing can take that away from me, no matter what I do. And that means that if I'm really, truly saved, I can go out and live any way I want. I can go have a, I can go commit adultery. I can go commit fornication. I can go do whatever I want because... Hey, I'm saved, bless God, I'm the elect, and there's nothing anybody can do to stop me, so therefore I can live any kind of way that I want. But bless God, I'm saved, I love Jesus Christ. And so when we play out the nth degree, the nth means that we play it all the way to the end. We take the idea and we play it all the way to the end, and here's what Paul does in verse 14. Continues on with their folly. He says this, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. You see, if there is no resurrection of the dead, the end to this is, then Jesus Christ did not raise. And, and then if this is so, the nth says that the Christian faith is a joke. And everyone who believes in Christ or in the Christian faith is a fool. They're an idiot for even believing it. Because why? Jesus Christ taught a resurrection. And if he did not resurrect, but he taught it, then he's a joke. He was a fraud. He was a liar. And so how could any one of those types of people really be from, uh, really be the Savior, really be from Jehovah God? Well, they couldn't. And if Christ, verse 14, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Also, you got nothing. If Jesus Christ didn't raise him, we better shut our mouths and go home. Because nothing else matters. If nothing, if Christ didn't raise, even Paul said it here, that's where actually God gave me the inspiration for the whole sermon. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Also, nothing matters. Nothing else matters. He goes on in 15 keeps going, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact he did not, if in fact, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If we're out here preaching and we're telling you, hey, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but he didn't, then we're false witnesses of God. God, if, if, if this never happened, but we're preaching it, we're now the ones that are liars. So you can't believe us either. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Finally, Paul gives them the finale. Paul answers the question moving forward. Verse 17, he answers our question. Why nothing else matters. He already said nothing matters, but now he tells us why nobody raising from the dead, Christ not raising the dead. Why nothing matters if Christ didn't raise from the dead? Verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, 
Your faith is futile. We got that part. He just repeats it again. But here's the kibosh. Here's why nothing matters. You are still in your sins. Or we'll say it in reverse. You're still in your sins if Christ didn't raise from the dead. You see, the Bible says, as I explained to Omar the other day as well too, mankind is sinful before the eyes of a perfect and holy God. We sin sometimes daily, often multiple times a day. And then on really bad days, well, let's not talk about that because really bad days for me I hate. Because I get caught in sin and it's like I'm stuck on stupid and God's got to whack me across the back of the head and bring me back to repentance and knock it off. You better cut that out. But we all sin. And because we all sin and God's holy, God had to send a sacrifice for that sin. Because otherwise, when we stand before him, we're found in our sin because Christ's death and resurrection didn't cover our sin. Without God's sin sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah of God, to come and die for the sins of mankind and then defeat the last enemy death by conquering death through God's promised resurrection of the Savior from the dead, then nobody on earth could be cleansed or purified from their sin nature. The sin nature, which God's word says, cuts us off from God. And we'd all be stuck in our sins and God would judge us according to our sinfulness and not the righteousness of the Savior and his blood of his sacrifice to cleanse us. Resulting in exactly what Paul says here, resulting in all doom, or damnation, condemnation, doom for all in eternity in hell, fire, and in condemnation, completely separated from our Creator forever. Ouch. But you say, Pastor Ed, I'm a pretty good person. I, I've, only I've only sinned, you know, here and there. I, I'm a pretty good person. As, as Omar made the, the argument to me on Friday afternoon, and I says to Omar, I said, Omar, it doesn't matter even if you have sinned just one time. I said the one time, and I'm saying it to you now, the one time you sin cuts you off from the holy and true God because he's never sinned. He's a perfect, holy, and just God. And justice says that sin must be punished. There must be a penalty for sin. The same way as if you go out and you kill somebody, then the penalty is either death or life imprisonment, or I should say, excuse me, because of our corrupt country, I, I can't forget this. Our, our, it, the truth should be is if you kill somebody, either you should be killed or B, you should be put in jail for the rest of your life and never see the light of daylight because you murdered somebody in cold blood. That, that's just a simple fact. And, the, and the, that's what the punishment should be for murder. The punishment if you steal you should either A, have to give it back and then serve some time to learn that you shouldn't do that, or, or B, go to jail because there has to be punishment for a disobedience. And God is a just God, and he has to punish sin. And any sin, the Bible says, cuts us off from God because he's holy and perfect. Ouch. Exactly as Paul goes on to say even more, 
in verse 18. Then he says, taking this out to the end, no resurrection, faith's futile, you're still in your sins, verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. You see, because if Christ didn't rise, then those who died in Christ, it didn't matter because Christ never rose. And if Christ never rose, they were still in their sins. They're, they're in an eternity in hell now because there was no atonement for their sins. They were trusting in a false man, the man Jesus Christ, whom, whom all these people said, oh, he rose from the dead, but, he, but, they, but they lied, right? And he didn't, they could say. And then if you say that, then they're all perishing in hell forever because they went before the judgment seat of God. And God said, no, there's no sacrifice for your sins. Hey, Christ didn't rise. You know what? He didn't even come and live and die and rise again. So you know what? I see you as sinners. I'm holy and I'm perfect. The law says that somebody that's sinful has to be, has to be punished. So away with you. You're gone. And this is exactly what Paul said speaks about to them so now the answers the question our question we've had since the beginning of this sermon why nothing matters if jesus christ had not risen from the dead the why is no matter what you could earn how much how many how much sex you could have or drugs you could do or have or how many cars or tvs or houses or boats or you could have or how long you could live or how much education you could have or how intelligent you you could be or or no matter what you could do in light of the holy creator god is going to judge you upon your sinfulness and not the grace of his son jesus christ and and you would be doomed in an eternity in condemnation hellfire forever with no hope in this life at all. And, and really, if you think about it, you may be saying, well, you know, I could still have those nice things in this life. Really, why would anything we could have or earn in this life matter if there was no resurrection of Jesus Christ or us? Because you know how long this life actually is? The Bible calls our lives a vapor. Think about a hot, sunny Texas or Southern Florida day, 95, 98, 100 degrees. Go, go outside. Actually, I did this on an 80, uh, high 70s, low 80s degree day. I was, at a, I was on a field trip as I'm a school bus driver. That's the job that God provides for me and my family with. And so I was out on a field trip one Saturday afternoon, and it was a kind of high 70s, low 80s day, which really is pretty nice for Texas. You're really feeling good at 70s and 80s. It's kind of on the dry side here more often than not. And so I had this cup of this drink that I had had. I had just gone to this fast food place for some lunch and I had the ice that was left over and I have a bad habit. I was chewing on some ice, which I know I shouldn't do, but I get caught in that sometimes. I'm ruining my teeth, but I ought to stop. So I said, you know what, Lord, I'm going to pour out this ice. It was ice now, mind you. Ice, not even just water. It was ice. And I said, you know what, I'm going to pour out this ice on the ground. So I stopped chewing it. So I did. I took my cup of ice and I flipped it out the window and, you know, the, maybe some birds had a, had a good drink. But you know what? A high 70s, low 80s day. You know how long it took the ice to melt? <coughs> Within, I believe, 10 minutes. And that was on a day where it was high 70s, low 80s. Within 10 to 15 minutes, the ice was just, just a soaking in the ground. And within, within the half hour... The water was all gone. Now, now just think of that in the span of a day. How long is a half hour in the span of one 
24-hour day, just one day. That's like, wow, it's like minuscule, right? That's an, an eighth of a sixteenth of something of a really, really, really low amount. I didn't do the math on it. This is something that God just laid on my heart to talk about. But then now, that's little already. Think about how long it took that ice to melt in the span of just this year, <laughs> 365 days. That's even tinier. When we get into the into the zero 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 point zero 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 zero. Now take it out through. I've lived 43 years. That's not an eternity yet. Now, mind you, that's just 43 years that I've been alive. Think of how that half hour that I, ice ice, mind you, took to melt on not even a hot, really summer day in Texas. It was a beautiful spring day, and that's nothing. Well, that's what our lives are, because eternity is forever. Eternity is forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and and there's never an end. And what do we live? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe anymore if we're really blessed. We might live a hundred of those years. What are a hundred years in the matter of a thousand years? What's a hundred years in ten thousand years? What's a hundred years in a, a million years? How about a billion years? How about forever years? It's a vapor, folks. So no matter what you could have here, if you die in your sins because there is no resurrection of the Christ, then you've got no hope because whatever you have in this life is just temporary. When you hold it up next to you're a sinner and you're not saved by grace because there was no resurrection or, I mean, we've already established that there was, say, let's say you're not abiding in Christ and you're not abiding in that gospel that we talked about when Paul started out here in verses 1 and 2. And, and let's say you're, gonna, you're in that, well, then your life of everything you could attain, yeah, yeah, you might enjoy yourself for that hundred small years that you're here. But I'll tell you, when you die, nothing you had you'll remember. You will not remember anything you had as being good because the suffering of being rejected by the holy God of all the universe will be so much worse and your burning and your flames will be so much worse than nothing would matter. Just like that cup of ice thrown out on that ground. It wasn't even that hot. That half hour that it took to dissipate, nothing. I couldn't even remember that I had a drink within an hour. That was just an hour. That was just an hour. That's why Paul concludes the nth teaching on this in verse 19. We only got two more verses. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. You see, the Bible says that to become, to, to, to take this sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in depth in our close, but to accept this sacrifice and to stand in the gospel that God expects those that have turned to Christ to live a certain holy lifestyle. That means that those that are true Christians, there's a certain abstinence from sin that God wants from us. There, there's a certain way He wants us to follow Jesus Christ. And that lifestyle of Jesus Christ is hard. Real, true, born-again believers are often the literal scorn and reproach of the world. It's hard to deny yourself, as Jesus is going to, we're going to look at here in a, in a few minutes of Matthew chapter 16. It, it's hard to do that. It's hard to live a lifestyle of following Jesus Christ and abstaining from the sinful things, the things that your flesh loves in the world. But yet once you get saved, you'll, you'll want to do it 
But then as you go on, and on and on and on and on, that's why Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, those who endure to the end shall be saved. That's why Paul said, verses 1 and 2, but if you believe and if you stand in this, then you shall be saved. Because the longer you are, the harder it is to actually stand in this type of lifestyle. So those of us that have turned to Christ and are following Christ and, and are denying ourselves and are you know cutting off the sinfulness of our flesh to follow Christ, uh, that's why he says, if this in this life only we have hope in Christ, because there was no resurrection remember according to these people we are of all men most pitiable and that would be because if christ didn't raise from the dead man live it up live it up do i mean anything you want don't withhold anything from yourself because if christ didn't rise from the dead then your life doesn't matter my life doesn't matter nothing we do matters evolution is correct if christ didn't rise from the dead and you know what it's the survival of the fittest so hey go out and conquer and and step on people and make trillions of dollars a year whatever you could do because nothing else matters and i know that was a lot to take in but as i said thanks be to god we've already covered the fact jesus christ did raise from the dead and that's how paul closes his conclusion he slaps in the face of these that say there's no resurrection he says verse 20 but now christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep he says jesus christ has risen from the dead and all those whom have turned to god and his plan of eternal life eternal salvation through jesus christ their savior they're okay they're safe in god's hands and they're going to inherit the eternal reward that god promised to those who love him and they're going to be there forever they're not going to be in the torments of hell they're not going to be suffering they're in the hands and the arms of their loving creator who didn't judge them on their sin he judged them on the grace of Jesus Christ. God is so good and loving, isn't he? We answered our first and greatest question of today. Why would nothing matter if Jesus Christ had not resurrected? The answer again, if God would have never sent Jesus Christ to come, live, die, be buried, and raised from the dead, then nobody would have any hope because after all, this life, once it was over, how short very short people, very super short it may be. We would all be doomed forever for an eternity in hell because God would judge us in our sins as the sinners we are, deserving of his judgment, as I explained to Omar and as I've explained to you today. So praise God for his amazing provision for our eternity because it cost him the pain, the suffering and death of his only begotten son on the horrible cross of execution to grant people eternal life with him. And this is the greatest news in all the world and for all of our eternities and why those whom love, worship Jehovah and Jesus Christ celebrate this day, uh, Resurrection Sunday and even the Good Friday that we had just a few days ago. That is why we celebrate it. That is why when I opened up my sermon, that is why I said, praise God, he is risen. Because I have hope, not in just this life of the next, but I have hope and I know in the next life that it's all going to go well with me and God. Now, switching gears and in no way downplaying this redemption by Jesus Christ for our eternities. But remember, I also had a second question for us in this message. Do you remember that? Remember that question? It was this. What should his resurrection mean personally and intimately to everyone? What should 
his resurrection mean to us? Well, remember, facts are facts, and there's a lot of facts out there that I know, but they don't really mean anything to me. Uh, But there are facts that mean things personally, and they mean things intimately to each one of us and you and everything. And there are facts that mean nothing, right? And the resurrection of Jesus Christ should mean something personally and intimately to each person, but why? Uh, Here's why. Jesus Christ did what he did for all mankind, but that doesn't mean that everyone is guaranteed to benefit from it. In fact, unfortunately, the Bible says that many will choose to not benefit from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, sadly, and this is what we see today. The one that benefits, not everyone will benefit because they don't fit into the category of what John said in John, the Apostle John, and what he said in chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, he said this, He, speaking of Jesus Christ, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So unless you choose to believe and receive Jesus as the Christ of God, believing that he lived, died, and rose again, resurrected from the dead, in the way that makes you born again, the Bible said that that's what John just said, then all he did for you by his death and resurrection means nothing. And then really, if you don't believe it, and if you don't receive it, really so does your life, because there's no hope of an eternal life for you, because you're dead in your sins. When you die, you're going to face a wrathful God, and he's going to look upon you as the sinner that you are deserving of his judgment, not under the atonement of the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And he will tell you at that point, be gone from me. I never knew you. So how does someone, including you or listen to me this message, how do you go about receiving Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection in order to be born again and have peace with your creator now and have peace with your creator for all eternity? Well, I can tell you the belief that he's talking about biblically is not one of just your brain. The, the beliefs of your head are just those beliefs that I believe in things, certain things in this world. They mean nothing to me beliefs in our mind, they're nothing. God wants you to have the type of belief that's in your heart, a type of belief that you have about your wife or your husband or your child or your job, a type of belief that actually causes you to have action, a belief that means something to you personally. Head beliefs of Jesus Christ don't mean anything because the Bible says that even the demons believe in Jesus Christ. And they acknowledge all that Jesus Christ did on the cross. They acknowledge it. They know he went to the cross. They know he lived. They know he died and they know he rose again. But you know what? It doesn't mean anything to them because it's not a belief that changes them. It's not a belief that they've surrendered to. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans 10 that we are to confess Jesus as the Christ and believe in him with our hearts that he is who he said he was and that he did what he did on the cross for our sin and for and in his resurrection. And what does it mean, though, to believe this way with your heart? Because that's kind of like very convoluted, right? Like, how do I believe in my heart? I mean, that's kind of confusing, Pastor Ed. I don't even know what that means. Well, that's okay. It starts with Acts 3.19. Repentance and being converted. 
Peter says to his crowd, repent therefore and be converted. This, this repentance that he's talked about means the first step of the head belief, if you maybe just don't even believe in them at all, means that you turn your mind's ideas of your current beliefs of whatever you believe to start believing as fact the correct beliefs of God's word in the Bible, of who Jesus Christ said he was and of what he did on the cross and in the resurrection. Acknowledging that, yes, Jesus is the Christ, which means he's the only way to heaven. He's the only way to have peace and make peace with God. And you know what? He did live. He did die. He was buried and he did rise again. And I believe that. This is, this is repentance of the mind. This is repentance to say, you know, I didn't believe that. I was a Buddhist or I was a Hindu or I was a Muslim. No. Now I repent and I'm going to believe the gospel. I'm going to believe in what Jesus Christ did. But what does this repentance of believing in him with our hearts as who he said he was and what he did on the cross, how do we take it to the next level? How do we go from there, from that mental idea of I believe that, to being born again? Well, Jesus Christ tells us the steps to make. It's actually a step in our heart that we can make. He tells us in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28, he says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. It means that we take ourselves off the throne of our lives, which we're born in control of. And it means that we submit our lives at the cross. We submit our lives to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. We submit our lives to the fact. The same way the disciples submitted their lives to even the cost of their life to, to death, for the fact that Jesus was the Christ and that he did live and die, was buried, and that he rose again. And they submitted their lives to him. Where Jesus Christ, they allowed him to come in and be the Lord and the master of their lives. While they then took the back seat. The old adage, the old song, I hate to say it, but it's a kind of a, more of a popular song in America. Jesus, take the wheel. The same idea. I'm going to get off, I'm going to get away, I'm going to stop driving my car, because it's my car, your life is like your car, and I'm going to move over, and I'm going to give Jesus Christ the wheel, and I'm going to let him start driving. That, that means that you're going to stop controlling your life, and you're going to lay down your life and surrender to Jesus Christ. And, th and this is where the mind meets the heart, and that you take your knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you make that knowledge into your heart by giving up, waving the white flag of surrender and saying, Jesus Christ, here, take my life. You run my life. And then that means then you go after that and you look to his word. And then that's what Jesus Christ, he goes on to say, let him deny himself. And then let him take up his cross and follow me. Remember I talked about how God expects a certain type of lifestyle from those that are saved. Well, he expects a certain way that somebody that's saved is now going to look at sin. And he expects us to abstain from some sinful things that he, he says in his word. And then he goes on to say that we're supposed to follow Jesus Christ. That means that we've surrendered our life to him. Now we're not, okay, the cross is before us, the world's behind me. Jesus, how did you say to live? I'm going to live that way. And this is what it means to repent and be converted, and to believe in Him not with your mind only, 
but with your heart. He goes on to say, verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. See, if you want to keep driving your own car, you're going to end up running into the guardrail. You're going to end up running off into the cliff and you're going to end up crashing and burning. And as you as the Lord and master of your life, you're going to end up, where, you're going to end up in heaven where God's going to see you and he's going to judge you. And then he's going to say, well, you, you were the master of your own life. You never let me in. So you know what? You, never let, you didn't want me when you're alive. Why are you going to want me when you die? And then he's going to send you away because you never wanted him to begin with. You only wanted a head belief of him. A head belief that kind of made you soothe. It made you feel better, you know. Hey, I believe in Jesus. But did it ever make it to your life? Did it ever make it to your heart? Did it ever make it to that surrender point? No, never made it to that point. For whoever desires to save his life, his earthly life, I want to rule my earthly life, he'll lose his eternal life. But... Whoever loses his life for my sake, meaning whoever loses his life, surrenders his life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, shall find it for his sake, because you're making him the Lord and master of your life. It's pretty interesting he says that. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Doesn't that kind of match up with exactly what we read in 1 Corinthians 15? For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul. You can gain everything, but nothing matters if you lose your soul in hell. Jesus is even saying that here. It's a different context. It's in living for him and not living for him. But whether he rose or didn't, or whether he didn't rise or whether you don't live for him, it's the same outcome. If he didn't raise from the dead, you're doomed and you're done in your sins forever. If he, if he did rise, but you don't surrender, it doesn't matter either. Because when you die, you're going to be doomed in hell, which God's going to see you for your sinful person that you are, and he's going to send you hell saying, because you didn't want him now. Why, if you didn't want him now, why are you not going to complain when you die? I didn't want him now. Why do you want him when you die? You don't. You don't. And so Jesus, very, very powerful words. What profit is man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each according to their works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So the choice is there. If you just have today a head belief in Jesus Christ, and, or you know for sure that you're not born again, or, or you don't even know what the word born again means, the Bible says you're in trouble. The Bible says you're in trouble. Jesus says you're in trouble. You must obey the words of Jesus Christ as to how you believe and receive him. You must surrender. Or again, his life and his death and his resurrection, they mean nothing to you. And you'll stand before a holy God on judgment day. And he'll judge you for your sinfulness and not for the righteousness that's found in Christ alone. And he'll send you away into eternal flames of fire forever where you'll never get out you'll spend every moment of all the rest of your forever there and you're, you'll suffer in torment forever and ever and ever and ever in five minutes in hell you'll forget everything good that you had in this life you'll forget it because your suffering and your torment will be that such and to be that bad just that bad so nothing matters if you don't surrender your life 
to Jesus Christ, if you don't make him the Lord, if you don't allow him to change you, right? Is ruling or owning your own life or, or believing and hoping in other gods of other religions and rejecting Jesus Christ worth the suffering and torment of the rest of all of your eternity in hell's flames? I don't think so. And I hope you don't think so either. Jesus Christ is waiting for you. Turn and repent and be converted today. God loves you. Jesus Christ paid the greatest price for you on the cross. Please come to him now. Fall on your face. Surrender. Jesus Christ, take my life. Take it. I don't want it. I, I, I lose my life for your sake. Let me be born again. Let me be saved. I just want to follow you. Jesus, please save me. I'm sorry for all that I've done. Please, Lord God, I, I pray... Lord, that those that are listening out there will take that step to bring you from their heads into their hearts, Lord God. For as I said, and as you know, Lord, as if the resurrection never happened, which we know it did, but Lord, whether the resurrection never happened or people don't receive the gift of the resurrection, uh, resurrected Jesus Christ and what he did for us, Lord, then nothing matters then either. Lord, so Lord, all the head knowledge we have of Jesus doesn't even matter at all if we don't fall on our knees and cry out to you and ask you to save us and, and, and give you our lives Lord, and surrender our lives to you. So I, I just pray, Lord God, please, whoever may be listening, Lord, please, Lord, show them, how to, show them what, the, what they should do right now. Have them fall on their knees, Lord. Show them, Lord, break their hearts. Please, dear God, help them come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. For he did raised from the dead, and the faith, the true Christian faith of the Bible, Lord, of, of being born again, of what Christ did for us, it does matter, Lord. And then everything matters after that, Lord God. Everything matters after that. I love you, Lord God. We love you, Lord God. It's Gospel Saving Church, and we pray all these things and ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.